Uh, thank you so much to Clinton and the leadership for this opportunity to be bringing God's Word to you this evening. This evening, I'd like to take us to the book of Leviticus, which is a bit of a shift from signs and wonders that we've been looking at. Um, it is the third book of the Bible, after Genesis and Exodus. And at this point in the bigger picture, God has brought his people out of Egypt, and he's turned these Hebrew slaves into saints. And so now God gives specific instruction on how he, a holy God, will be approached in worship. We find that the whole book of Leviticus is about how sinful men can approach a holy God in reverent worship. But not just that, we see how through Moses, he gives instruction on holy living. How should his people now live their lives as saints before a holy God? The central message of the book is clear. Be holy, for I am holy. And so when we speak about being holy in Leviticus, we speak about being set apart. The Israelites, God's people, were to be separated or set apart from the other nations and unto God. They were to be his people. We see in Leviticus the introduction of the whole idea of priests. And God himself institutes the priesthood. They were to be a holy people that were set apart now from amongst the Israelites unto God. And they were to represent God to the people and the people to God. And so he consecrates Moses' brother Aaron and his four sons as well. They would now have the responsibility of being worship leaders for God's people. Chapters 8 and 9 in the book of Leviticus are filled with texts of the extensive preparation that they underwent as priests. And this for them was the process of being set apart or being made holy, and it involved them making burnt offerings unto God. The Bible tells us in chapter 9 that God was very pleased with them, Leviticus 9, verse 23 to 24, and it says that the glory of the Lord appeared to all people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The God who had made himself known in splendor from Mount Sinai was now making himself known in splendor from the tent. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now truly living among them. And notice the response of the people. They were joyful and worshipful. Can you imagine having been there at that time? The God of the heavens is now truly dwelling amongst you. And this is recorded up to chapter 9. And then after this, we have what seems to be an interlude from all the instructions, and we're given instead a narrative which we will look at tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. 
Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, come, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your, gen your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and as your sons' due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons' with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. He was angry with Elias and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you, that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. 
May I start by asking more of a rhetorical question this evening? When you left your home or wherever you are coming from right now to come here, in your mind or maybe to the people that you were with before, where did you say you were going? You might think, well, Shepherd, duh, obviously, I'm going to church. But did you give much thought to why you were coming here? Perhaps you have the immediate and maybe even correct answer. Well, I'm going to worship God. Isn't that obvious? That's what we do on a Sunday. We are Christians. Then may I ask you, did you consider whom you were coming to worship? Since you are coming to worship God, did you consider the nature of the God you are coming to worship? Did you consider why and how he is worthy of the worship that you are here to give and to offer to him? Did you consider if you were worthy of coming before this God? You see, I ask you all these questions because these are the questions that the people we find in our text tonight should have asked and answered honestly. And for the people in our text tonight, their answers to these questions were actually a matter of life and death. The opening verses of chapter 10 record the sudden death of Nadab and Abihu, two of the four sons of Aaron. It seems at this point that their preparation process has lasted longer than their actual ministry. And within the, within the first two verses, we see their lifeless bodies lay in the sanctuary before the Lord. So in the very first place tonight, I would like us to see my first point, the place of the priesthood. The place of the priesthood. In the first two verses, we see the phrase, before the Lord, repeated three times. Look at verse 1 and 2. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. That phrase, before the Lord, in Hebrew is lifne Yahweh, which literally translates to in the face of Yahweh, or in front of Yahweh, or in the presence of Yahweh. The priests were to perform their duties right in front of the face of Yahweh. Did you know that you and I sitting here today are priests. In our union with Christ, we have become a part of the royal priesthood. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. You are a priest. You now have the right and responsibility to carry out the same priestly ministry as that of the priesthood which we see here in Leviticus before the Lord. Each believer 
now has the role of mediating the world to God and God to the world. One scholar states that by mediating God to the world, we seek to implore people to choose Christ and put their faith in Him. We also seek to mediate the needs of the world to God through intercession and responsible citizenship. And our first point of application is found right here. When we come into His presence, we must understand that we are coming before the face of God, and therefore we must approach Him in a worthy manner. And however we perform our duties, we must perform them in a way that He has commanded. And not only that, we should also be concerned about living our lives daily before the Lord. We see the same idea in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when God appears to Abraham at 97 years old and calls him to walk before him and be blameless. This was a call for Abraham to live out his whole life as one living it out right in front of the face of God. And this is the same call that we have as priests today. Our call is to be blameless, to live holy lives as he is holy. And we must live our lives daily knowing that we are living them in the face of the Lord. So since we represent God, we need to replicate the holy nature of God in our daily living by reflecting His holiness in our relationship to others and in our sincere love for one another. Dear believer, reflect upon your life this past week. Did you represent God? Did the actions of your daily life radiate the holy character of God? Did you prepare adequately to be in the face of a thrice holy God? I'd like us to notice how when Aaron's sons messed up, they were taken away from before the Lord. They were taken away out of His presence out of the sanctuary, and even out of the camp. You see that in verses 4 and 5. Which leads me to the next point, the problem of the priesthood. The problem of the priesthood. Aaron's sons were renowned men, held in high esteem in all of Israel. They had seen the power of the Lord before. They had seen the ten plagues come upon the Egyptians they had seen the waters part, manna come from heaven. They knew the power of God, and yet they acted in disobedience still. And I'd like to direct our attention to their disobedience. Their first act of disobedience was that they offered unauthorized fire. What exactly is unauthorized fire? What is this strange fire? Well, we can't be certain for sure, but some scholars believe that they offered strange fire, that is fire 
not taken from the altar of burnt offering because maybe they might have feared to approach after the miracle that had just occurred. In Exodus 16, 12, it is ordered that on the day of atonement, the incense fire should be taken from the brazen altar. And this was no doubt the rule on all occasions. This fire was a fire lit by God himself. So we can speculate and say that because the emphasis is on fire, they offered a fire that came from an alternative and inappropriate source. What we can be certain of, however, is whatever they did, it was not authorized by God. It's recorded in the very first verse. They were being disobedient to God. Whatever made them think that their fire, which they got from whatever source they got it from, was as good as God's fire. Maybe they had good intentions. Maybe they had zeal and excitement to offer more to God. It may have been zeal with good intentions, but Derek Tidball rightfully warns us that good intentions are no substitute for exact obedience. Well-meaning enthusiasm is no substitute for discipline and discretion in worship. Maybe they had good intentions, but they were not godly intentions. Do you remember the story of Uzzah and the ark that Shane spoke about last week? As the ark of the Lord was being transported, the oxen stumbled, and it says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and Uzzah hurried, and he tried to prevent the ark from touching the dirt of the ground. Good intentions. But what made Uzzah think that his hands were cleaner than the dirt of the ground? The second act of disobedience was that they were drunk when they served before the Lord. Verses 8 to 11 shows us this. The fact that they were warned not to drink wine or strong drink is an indication that they were probably drunk. And yet their duty was one which required them to be sober so that they would be able to distinguish between the holy and the common. Look at God's response to their blatant disobedience in verse 2. It says that a fire from before the Lord consumed them and they died. The same fire that came from before the Lord and appeared to all the people so that they may see his glory now comes upon the priests in fierce judgment. The same fire that came from before the Lord and consumed the burnt sacrifice now consumed them. And the whole nation has gone from celebration in deep worship to a funeral. After such fierce judgment, one would think that surely they would right their wrongs from this point onwards. And Moses almost intervenes and gives them further instructions in verse 12 to 15. 
They were to eat the bulk of the grain offering and also the breast and thigh of the peace offering. And this was acceptable for them because it wasn't part of the most holy offerings. But I want to see, after they've been given this instruction, their third act of disobedience. Instead of eating it like they were commanded to do, in verse 16, what do they do? When Moses inquires about the sin offering, he found that they had burnt it instead of eating it. We are here and we are dealing with the honor of the most holy one and we are failing to follow instructions. What hope do the people of Israel have in this priesthood? Did they have the right people for the job? This priesthood is not perfect. The renowned men have died. They were an imperfect priesthood, but so are we. How many times have we offered unauthorized fire in the face of God? Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan, points out that we are to come into God's presence and we are to be burning with the fervency of prayer by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And yet often we come into the service of God with our hearts burning with our own fleshly passions or with anger or with covetousness or malice. We maybe sometimes come around the Lord's table flippantly without taking note of what's going on inside of our hearts. Or we come to serve Him without adequate preparation. So I ask you again, when you said you were coming here tonight, where did you say you were going? Did you prep yourself to come before a holy God. Or maybe you came here with good intentions. Oh, I'm giving someone a lift, so I have to be there, right? Or my Bible study is on eats tonight. I have to lend a hand. Or the worship team needed another vocalist. Good intentions. But are they godly intentions? We are, unfortunately, just like Aaron and his sons, maybe even worse, because we have the full canon of Scripture where God has revealed Himself to us and has shown us how we are to come before Him, and yet, in ignorance, we disobey Him. Dear brothers and sisters, God is looking for worshipers. A people that will, after seeing his glory, will shout with rejoicing and fall down in reverent and true worship. John 4, 23, the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And this is the whole point of this chapter and it's summarized for us in verse 3. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. The God that we worship is a holy God. 
and we are called to worship Him with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29 tells us, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So the point is clear, but how do we do this? Look to Jesus. The imperfect priesthood that we see here in Leviticus should point us to the perfect priest. The Levitical priesthood in the order of Aaron was not adequate. It was temporary, flawed, imperfect, and it could not last forever. However, there is a better and superior priesthood that God himself promised for you and me when he promised to establish a priest forever in a way which would perfectly meet our needs. So in the next point, I would like us to see the perfect priesthood. The perfect priesthood. Jesus Christ himself fulfills that promise of a perfect priest. He alone is worthy to stand in the presence of God to represent us and to present us as blameless so that we may enjoy a living and right relationship with the thrice holy God. We need a priest, but we need a perfect priest who is not going to mess up or we will die. We need Jesus. How does Jesus execute the office of the priest? The Westminster Shorter Catechism answers, Christ executes the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 to 7 Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Hebrews 2.17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propiti propitiation for the sins of the people. He is the perfect priest. And what confidence do we have in this priest? He is able Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, it is 
only because of Christ that we can be holy as he is holy. So our application point here is simple. Look to Jesus. If there is anyone here who does not believe in Jesus and has not come to put their faith in Jesus so that they can be in union with Jesus who will represent, who will represent us, my question for you is who will represent you before the Lord? Who will stand and mediate for you before this thrice holy God? If you do not yet believe in Jesus, you will have to do the duty of a priest on your own. And you will have to represent yourself before an almighty God. But the question is, who can stand in the presence of Yahweh? Look to Jesus this evening. Look to Jesus who came and dwelt among us, a sinful people, that he may reconcile us with the Father. Look to the cross and see Jesus Christ wounded and hanging on a tree. See him and take, see him take upon the judgment that was meant for you and me and put your faith in him. But don't stop there. Look to Jesus and see him ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, performing the function of a perfect priest, presenting us blameless and spotless before the Lord in the face of Yahweh, interceding for you and me. The last point I'd like us to see is the purpose of the priesthood, the purpose of the priesthood. The purpose of the, purpose of the priesthood is simply this, to glorify God. Look at the last part of verse 3. It says, before all the people, I will be glorified. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How was the priesthood in the order of Aaron to glorify God? Well, by being consecrated and giving themselves wholly to him. They were to glorify God by worshiping him according to what he had commanded through Moses. And they were also to glorify God by living blamelessly in the face of God. And it is here that we get our application. God is glorified when you and I are consecrated and are given wholly to Him. We need to give ourselves wholly, wholly, wholly for the Lord God Almighty because He is holy, holy, holy. God is glorified when we worship according to what He has commanded us in Scripture and He has commanded us to worship in spirit and in truth. And finally, God is glorified when His priests live holy lives in the face of Yahweh. 
Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come before your face this evening in reverence and in awe that such a holy God would choose to dwell amongst a sinful people like us. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we have come into your presence without adequate preparation. Forgive us for the times we have offered strange fires and even served you with good intentions and yet we've still disobeyed you. Help us, Father, to give ourselves holy, holy, holy for the Lord God Almighty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.